Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're in a um, prolonged conversation, and uh, Darren and I were talking uh, earlier this week and think that it might be valuable for us to even slow it down a little bit more than we had anticipated We've been kind of racing through some of the key texts that focus in on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and particularly kind of focusing towards the ministry gifts of the Spirit, because those are the primary ways, or one of the primary ways by which the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, pushes back the kingdom of darkness. And we want to be at the the front edge. We want to be at the leading edge of that kind of empowered life, empowered ministry, which is what the Spirit does in the life of Jesus, in the early church, uh, and, and, and really in our, our church. A lot of you are here because somebody stopped you on the street and indicated that the Holy Spirit had invited you to pray for them. You didn't maybe know what all that meant, but that is how you came to be here. Um, and we've seen folks be healed. We've had uh, words given to people that were significant. Uh, for, and, and we want to be all about that. 
but one of the things that we've noticed is that if we're not careful, that becomes the point. That is the, the moment, the, the experience. The, and as wonderful as it is, it's never the point. It always has to go beyond itself to the glory of God, to the coming, coming of the kingdom. And where it particularly goes sideways is where the uh, ministry gifts of the Spirit get layered on uh, a, an individual, a person, who is not yet ready for prime time. That is to say, uh, has not dealt seriously enough with the damage uh, uh, their soul has incurred over, over, over the years. And of course, the Holy Spirit knows that, which is why, no surprise, his, his primary work in the life of believers is not that. That's secondary. The primary work is forming you to Christ-likeness, moving us away from patterns of self-destruction, moving us towards patterns of righteousness, moving us then finally towards union with God. That's what he's all about. That's what he, the, the telos, the direction that the Holy Spirit operates. Along the way then, as we be moved greater and greater levels of health, uh, we are able to be trusted with more and more responsibility in the realm of some of these extraordinary ministry gifts. Um, so, so, so that said, uh, I want to circle back around to a passage that Darren uh, worked uh, through a, a part of uh, earlier on in terms of the work of the Spirit in securing, establishing, enabling our identity as the adopted sons and daughters brought into the family of God. We are his children. Um, and, and, and underline what kind of bookends, he was in Romans 8 when we did that, and we'll come back to that again this morning, because I want you to bookend what Paul, the apostle who writes this letter to his friends in Rome, says uh, as he's heading us towards that identity, adopted, precious, beloved, etc., uh, and what the implications of that are. And, and the reason is, is fairly straightforward. It, it's one thing to be taken off the street, so to speak, and dropped into a family that loves, embraces, and accepts you. It's a whole other thing to learn to live by the, by the culture of that family system. And that's what the Holy Spirit's about. Because that, as you take on the mannerisms, as you learn the way of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, then you can be useful to accomplish the work of Jesus. Uh, and that's what we're kind of, kind of after, right? Um, so to, to begin, uh, Romans chapter 8, and we'll work through the whole f f first kind of three or four paragraphs. It's pretty dense, uh, so bear with me, and, and, and uh, just really been praying for illumination, because this is really kind of th some thick material, um, and uh, please uh, let's, let's uh, um, uh, pray that the Spirit would help us to understand what he's, what he's about here, um, because that Spirit-empowered identity for usefulness and spirit-empowered ministry begins somewhere. And here's where Paul says it begins. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could probably just stop there and sit with that for a bit uh, until we actually really believed it. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, that law of sin and death, was powerless to do, 
because it was weakened by the flesh and therefore our inability to keep it, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, in doing so, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who then do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind that is governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law and it can't do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to even your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation and it is not to the flesh to living according to it. Again, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Rather, our obligation is to live in the spirit. And if by the spirit you are putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So this is, a, as you can tell in the hearing of this, a, a challenging text. Um, and, and with a lot of kind of uh, ins and outs in it. And uh, it follows after Romans chapter 7, which you may know is the passage in which Paul just... Uh, kind of puts all his cards on the table and says, you know, at the end of the day, I do the things I don't want to do. And, and sometimes I don't do the things that I want to do. Uh, I don't know how to get this under control. Can anybody identify with that at all? It's like, uh, right? Um, and, and his conclusion is, thanks be to God, because God has taken care of that soul-tearing anxiety that occurs when we can't do what we want to do and we actually do what we don't want to do. We are being torn apart by the conflicting desires within us. That anxiety is proliferating in our culture. We have an increasing bifurcation. We are the most anxious culture in the history of the world. And in large measure, it is because of this precise thing. We want something desperately, but the decisions we make individually can't get us there, right? And the very thing, place that we don't want to go, our decisions are perfectly calculated to get us there, right? So it's, it's like your, your life is set up to get you the result you're getting. And if you've gotten tired of continuing to do the same thing and getting the same result, Paul suggests a different approach. Stop doing the same thing. So in order to do that, he sets everything back to zero. He says, all of those behaviors that are marks of our alienation from God, that are marks of our disconnection 
from the source of our identity in him, God has dealt with that, and there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so all of that self-destructive pattern, all of those things that alienate us from God, God has said, I will deal with those on my own. So you may have, 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 have an awareness that our sin separates us from God. But let us be clear, according to this passage of Scripture, Paul says that's no longer the case. I need you to sit with that. Paul says that's no longer the case. Your sin no longer separates God from you. He is in pursuit of you. He loves you. He is at work in all things, even through that pattern of brokenness. What your sin does, however, is separate you from you. It doesn't separate us from God. It separates us from ourselves. Sin is ultimately then self-destruction. Okay, and, and, and the, 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 the way this works is that God has established, um, uh, maybe you grew up with, with, with this image that, that when we sinned, when we rebelled against God, God turned away from us. He couldn't look on our sin. Yeah. Uh, and what this text says is, no, that's not what happened. When we sinned, it's not the God that turned away. It's us that turned away. We've started to walk away. And what does God do in, in, in response to that? He doesn't turn away. He instead pursues us with the love of God in Christ and has forgiven all of those things that disable our connection to him. He's given us a path back home, but you do have to turn around. You do have to reorient yourself and receive the love of God in Christ. Yeah? So, so, so sin is no longer, if you will, separating God from us. It's now separating us from us. And what has ended up happening here is that it has rendered us less than useful in his kingdom. Because remember, the whole point of this is that you, 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 as the image of God, display his works, his wonders, who he is in the world that you, you, you remember, Genesis chapter 1, right? And Paul says what sin produces, well, you, you can probably finish the verse if you've grown up in church at all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? You are. Glory in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is the manifest revelation of God. It's how God shows up. It's how he's seen. How does he intend to be seen on this planet? You. You're his image. You are, in some measure, his glory. So when you or I sin, when we choose a pattern other than is life-giving to us, when we choose self-destruction... The glory we fall short of is God's glory, which is, in other words, becoming fully ourselves. This is why the psalmist says God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Who else would he give you? He wants only good for you. The problem is his understanding and knowledge of what is actually good for us is based on truth, whereas ours is based on falsehood. That falsehood is called the flesh, which is what Paul addresses here. We'll talk about that in just a second. Paul goes on to suggest with this assurance that there is a, a, no 
issue of separation now. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has dealt with finally. This is why it's critical. Every time we get a whiff of shame, we have to live in this verse. This is why I said after I just read the verse, it's worthwhile just sitting here until it soaks into the place that we begin to live out of it. What would it look like? for you to walk into your roommate situation or into your place of employment or into your relationships and live a no condemnation life. How many of us are driven in so much of our behaviors by shame that God has already dealt with. Uh, God, now, now I will say, we still need guilt, not shame, because guilt is anchored in actual behavior. Shame is anchored in character. You see, guilt says what you did was wrong. Shame says you're wrong. What you did was bad. Shame says you're bad. And what does God say? No, that's not true. What you did, that was bad. But you, you're okay. Now stop blowing yourself up. Now please notice, there's genius here. The only possible way you can stop blowing yourself up is if you really believe there's no condemnation. If that has taken off the table, now finally we can start to deal with the ways that we've tried to deal with our brokenness. Okay, so Paul suggests, uh, you with me so far? Okay, uh, so, so he says the, the, the way we do this the, the, is, is that God has given us his Holy Spirit to, to enable us now not just to deal death to sin, death to self-destruction, death to death, but move us towards righteousness. Because here's the problem. We are settled often, at least for me, I would be happy if I could just not sin anymore. Anybody else? Just to stop the patterns of self-destruction. That would be a good day right there. Right? Holy Spirit's not happy with that. Because that just gets us to zero. He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be difference makers. That is not meant by just disappearing into sinlessness, but towards righteousness, towards union with God, towards usefulness. That's what he's after, and so that is what the Holy Spirit deals with. Uh, he says, he has condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, this is the third verse there, uh, requirement of the law might be met in us. Please notice what he's saying here. He's drawing a contrast between the flesh and the body. The body is the physical house in which you live, well, around which you live. Most of us live around our bodies most of the time, right? It generally, you're generally where it is. Not always. Some of you are, your bodies are here and you're somewhere else. I, 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 I know. Um, uh, but that, 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 that's to be expected because you, you have a body, but you're not your body. Right now, here's the problem: the f language he uses here is flesh, which is a, a, a technical term, and it's referring to that small ego self, that false self that we have begun to construct, uh, usually uh, in 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 late at, uh, er, early adolescence. Usually, the false self begins to be constructed as a way of negotiating life. Right. It's the, it's the ego self that is anchored in fear or shame. It's how we negotiate our relationships anchored in fear or shame. And Paul says that flesh and the ways that that flesh then deals with that fear and shame 
are what is at root the self-destruction. So it even co-ops the body into doing things at a physical level that support but do not ameliorate the fear and shame. So we talk about addictive behaviors. You talk about the sinful behaviors, the things that we do, the self-destructive things that we do in and with our bodies that are really at the end of the day about the flesh saying, I'm in charge. I need security. I need help. I need hope. Right? And Paul says the only way we're going to deal with this is not to start here at the body level, just stop it, but to start here at the flesh level, which produces the self-destructive behaviors in the body. So guess who does that? Paul says the Holy Spirit goes after the flesh and puts it to death because it is putting you to death. Now here's the problem. We don't want it to die. We've grown accustomed to its face. You know how it is? We tend to regard sin as uh, the image I've used before is uh, like speeding on the freeway. It's not a problem unless you get, a, get caught and get a ticket or are in an accident. But other than that, no harm, no foul. In fact, it's a fairly efficient way of getting around, <laughs> candidly. Can I get a witness? <laughs> the problem is sin is not like speeding, it's like cancer. A ticket is not going to help identify the self-destructive behaviors that are killing us. So again, the Holy Spirit doesn't mistake these self-centered, self-oriented, self-protective, shame-based, fear-rooted behaviors. He doesn't mistake those for anything other than what they actually are, a cancer that is going to take us out. And so he goes after them and will not allow for any excuses in his relentless pursuit to kill what's killing us. And I'm, for one, am grateful most of the time. Because sometimes when he puts his finger on some self-destructive behavior, I push back. Anybody else? I resist. It's like I'm a hoarder. It, it's like I've, I like my big piles of self-protective junk. But they're falling in on you. No, but I can just prop them up. No, but there's rot and mold in them. There are critters coming out and gnawing at your ankles in the middle of the night. Yeah, I know, but usually if you just feed them, they don't do it too often. <laughs> Anybody working that generic excuse in your head? Right? And, and the Holy Spirit says... Really? You're choosing relentless pursuit of death and it will win versus life? What are you doing with the no condemnation then? What was the point of that? Do you, do you see what he's after? This isn't just about going to heaven. This is about heaven's coming here through your life. So he invites us into this a uh, 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 battle, if you will, against the flesh, this small uh, uh, three-year-old in Walmart temper tantrum, uh, uh, self-destroying stuff at the very center of our soul. And we have a choice. We can feed that or we can feed the spirit. We can attend to this. We can have the mind that is bent on the flesh. 
making excuses for itself all the way along, right? Or we can say, as painful as it is, that which is killing me has to die. I want to live. And we set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Because he says, you're not in the realm. Verse 9, you're not in the realm of the flesh anymore. That's what the whole non-condemnation thing was about. God has established you again. Beloved, precious, chosen, sons, daughters. He's adopted you into his family. Come on. You need to learn how to live to be who you actually are. If anyone does not have, he says, the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But you have the spirit of Christ. So, because Christ is in you, that very spirit, that same spirit who was in you, that's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. I think he can take you on. I think he can take all of those ways and patterns of self-destruction and death and out of that bring real life, transformation. Not just, character, not, not just behavioral change, but actual transformation. Because to be honest, the older you get, the more you behave politely. Generally, right? Or find sneakier ways to do it. At least that's what I do. Holy Spirit's not interested in hiding the root by controlling the fruit. What the Holy Spirit is doing is taking that out and replacing it with real life. Yeah? Uh, so, so it's not just about controlling patterns of behavior. Because, and candidly, the older I get, the less I actually sin in public. Partly because I'm lazy and tired. I'm old. It's just, <laughs> and I don't want to get caught. But that's not righteousness, you understand. That's the ego self exercising continued control leading towards self-destruction. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Do you want to? Would you come out and play? Come on. So he invites us to let that spirit of, of life, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, take up residence and begin to put to death all of our deaths and raise us to walk in newness of life. Because he says, Paul says this, verse 12, we have then an obligation, a duty. I would argue a privileged duty. It's not to the flesh to ameliorate that, to pat it on its head, to, to, to make it feel good about dying. But to the Spirit, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and put, therefore, in partnership with Him through spiritual disciplines, through changed behaviors, through changed patterns, some of us through changed friendship groups, through changed uh, hobbies and activities, to put to death, not simply as a way of masking, but genuinely transforming the misdeeds of the body, because the body's gotten co-opted by the flesh. Do you, you see how this works? And the Spirit is going to go after that because He loves this body as much as He loves any other part of us. We have blamed the body too long. It's not the body, it's the flesh that's co-opted the body. And we want to go, uh, the Holy Spirit goes after that because he says at the end of the day, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's how you can tell that you're one of the children of God. You attend to the things of the Spirit, right? You've been not just adopted, but you're starting to learn 
the family mannerisms. You're, and, and by the way, when you do that, you will discover that it is entirely natural to be righteous. You have learned to make unrighteousness feel normal. It will never be natural. But it's like, uh, 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 I don't know anything about this, so if this illustration makes no sense whatsoever, please somebody help me. But it's like if you've learned to play golf and you've got a, an, a problem built into your golf swing, right? It, 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 what has to happen is you have to learn, it, it will, you, it, it, my, which is me. So, so, so I have a boy, uh, uh, my son, who actually is pretty much a scratch golfer. And, and, and we, we, he went out with me and I said, David, what am I doing? Every time I hit it, it goes someplace and I have no idea. Uh, it's dangerous to people even behind me. I don't know where this thing is going. And so he said, we, we, we hit it a couple of times. So I hit it a couple of times. He said, okay, I think I see what your problem is. What I need you to do, and he didn't tell me what my problem was. He said, I think I, I need you to hold the club this way. And he moved my hands in the single most awkward position I've ever held a golf club in. Right? It felt horrible. And he said, now just don't grip too tightly, but hang on and maintain that position. Now swing. And I don't know what happened, but when I swang, it swung. When I hit the ball, <laughs> straight, true, and high. And I looked at my boy, who stands there with a smirk on his face. What happened? He, he, he just said, well, you were holding the club wrong. It felt natural, but it will only produce the kinds of things you were getting. It felt unnatural. Do you see? But your hand, you're built for natural. You're built for righteousness. So we have to learn it, and this is what the Spirit teaches us. It teaches us what feels, what will be actually natural over time. Now, in the beginning, it's like eat your vegetables. It's like, oh, man, this is hard. This is hard. This is hard. Here's the deal. It's going to be hard either way. It's going to be hard leading to death or it's going to be hard leading to life. You choose. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Okay? Why? Because you're the adopted sons and daughters of God. You have an identity. You have been brought into the family. Now, where do we get help? Well, Paul says, at the end of that passage that Darren developed here a couple weeks ago, verse 26 of Romans 8, in the same way then, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Of all of the things that the Holy Spirit does, this is probably one of the ones of which I am, for which I am most grateful. Because I find myself not knowing what to pray most of the time. At least for me. I mean, I know how to pray for people to be healed. I know how to... Pray for guidance and direction. But at the end of the day, I don't even know what parts of me need to die. I've gotten so familiar with hitting the ball in the wrong way that I, I don't even know. So we ask, and whether we ask or not, the Holy Spirit is on the job interceding for us. He is calling out to the Father. This is one of those times when you just want to overhear your name on his lips. 
as he is praying your name before the Father. And the image here is just, is just powerful. If you've, ever, if you've ever carried someone that you love in your heart through a season of distress or darkness or difficulty, you know that sometimes your only prayer for them is these wordless groans, this, this moaning. It, you know, if, if that same boy that I was talking to you about, there were, there were seasons in his life when all I could do, three o'clock in the morning, lay flat on the ground and just call his name before Father God with tears in my heart, heartbroken. And I'm just his dad. What about the spirit of the living God who calls his name before the Father, groaning, yeah? And he does that for you. He does that for you. Why? So that you can be who you are. He needs you to show up. There's only one of you on the entire planet in the history of the world. The image of God is compromised to the degree to which you don't show up for work. So it's no surprise that one of the fundamental functions, if you will, of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to be fully yourself so you can join as a son, daughter, not as a child, but as an adult son and daughter in the work of the family, which is saving the world. You see what he's up to here. So this is the invitation for us, right? To, to invite the Holy Spirit with, with empowerment to reveal to us the ways of our self-destruction, the, the patterns in, that, that we have undermined uh, his, his life and his work in us, and begin, begin again to repent, to partner with him as he deals death to the things that are dealing death to us, to stop making excuses, right? To stop going back into the trash and pulling those genes out that have got mold and rot on them, over and over, and then you don't need them. You've got a whole new wardrobe befitting a child of the king. What are you doing? You don't live there anymore. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.